This is Dr. Jeff Brown with the Merge Medical Podcast. I'm joined by my co-host, Dr. Jeff Cole and Luis Blanco and John Wilcox. They are the executive team of Diatech. Diatech is a healthcare startup uh, locally based here in Memphis. It is designed to help diabetic patients manage their blood glucose. Guys, welcome. This is exciting to have you. Yeah, thank you so much for having us. We're really excited to be here too. Well, I'd like I'd like for you to go just right off the bat, start telling me about the problem that you guys are working to fix. Sure, absolutely. And I'll jump in here and then maybe Luis can give some context too. But um, really, you know, insulin pump therapy is a form of as a type of medical device that people with diabetes can use to manage their glucose. And it involves the insertion of a little needle under the skin um, that's worn for several days. And when that needle is injected into the body, um, it can actually come out, it can be blocked, it can leak. Um, This can severely compromise diabetes management for people um, who have type one and even type two diabetes. And so we, uh, as a company, Diatech have developed out algorithms and software products to help people with diabetes know if they're getting their insulin effectively, if their insulin pump is not working, um, if it's disconnected, and ultimately can be able to take action to prevent hyperglycemia. And, you know, this is a very specific problem, but this is something that we stumble upon quite often ourselves because we're uh, users of insulin pump therapy. And I wear an insulin pump. Um, Luis's family have members utilize insulin pumps. This is, again, uh, kind of the forefront technology for diabetes, but there still remains these types of problems. And so, um, you know, we're really dedicated to ensuring that insulin infusion is done successfully, correctly. Um, and that's why we're developing out our product, um, Smart Fusion. I think everybody knows diabetes is a huge problem in the United States. Um, can you talk, you know, you talked about all the problems with the pumps. You know, how many, how many patients are you talking about helping with this? Yeah, so in the United States, uh, there's about 750,000 to a million people with diabetes that utilize insulin pumps. Um, and of course, uh, in the United States, there's over 1.6 million people with insulin-dependent diabetes, uh, which could be, which, who could use uh, insulin pump therapy. And so um, it is a growing disease, both type 1 and type 2 diabetes. Um, it's a very prevalent disease in our communities. And so you know, having therapy platforms that work the best is really important to uh, helping manage what is a growing uh, almost epidemic. Um, and so, yeah, currently um, there's just about a million people who currently use insulin pumps. I never considered the pump would not be doing what it's intended. Right, right. How, um, exactly. How prevalent is that problem? And, and what drew, what first drew attention to that? Sure. Luis, do you want to hop in here, man? I, yeah, I don't yeah. Take up too um, much. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm happy to give some context. So the pump itself, um, I, I think it's a little bit of a misconception that the pump itself doesn't do its job, right? So the pump is 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 pumping, right? It's a very basic system, um, something you'd find, you know, all over the world for different applications. What we found is that really it's the site that becomes um, sort of damaged or <clears throat> starts to respond poorly to the therapy. So insulin itself is is a growth hormone, so it'll cause the site to uh, to swell up, to become inflamed. Sometimes the cannula that John is describing will uh, become occluded or kink down the tissue. Uh, sometimes, you know, j- you saw John wears his pump on his on his arm. Um, you could just bang it against something and that'll cause it to dislodge or start leaking, right? So it's sort of this combination of environmental and mechanical failures that can lead to these issues happening. Uh, we did a study uh, a couple of years ago now where we interviewed uh, 
you know, over 50 people, we surveyed over 700 and we found that uh, out of the people that were insulin pumps, over 90% of them have had a failure at some point and about 41% of them have failures at least once a month. And there's a lot of uh, associated, uh, I guess you could say, you know, there, there's things that, that come with those types of failures. Like they don't feel like the therapy is doing, it is where it needs to be. They feel, um, that they don't have good control over their diabetes. And sometimes they even consider coming off of the pump for a different therapy because of these issues. So it really affects immensely. And also, you know, from a therapy standpoint, it does affect uh, their outcomes. I see. So as a non-diabetic person, I never really thought about it. I'm with Jeff Cole. You just think it's doing its thing. So the pump can actually be at working properly, but you're still not getting the insulin that you need. And you wake up and you're in diabetic ketoacidosis or whatever, right? That's right. And then we talked a little bit offline and this was the most fascinating part of what you guys are doing is that since it's a software algorithm type process, you can work with any pump. It works with your Apple watch. It works with any pump. Did I hear that right? That's right. And we did it uh, initially when, when we had started thinking about the problem, um, it was because John had expressed an issue, you know, an issue with this pump. He's like, Hey, I have these failures. How do we solve it? And we came up with a bunch of, you know, we were brainstorming a lot of different solutions. We actually ended up on a software product, uh, actually on a hardware product initially that was sort of a sensor enabled infusion set. So we're like, we'll put a sensor in, we'll track in real time. We'll know that there's a problem. The issue is that a lot of people uh, that use insulin pumps don't want more gadgets, right? They don't want more sensors. Um, that lead to additional devices or bulkier products. So we decided, hey, let's go from a software approach, use what's already on the systems, and that way we can distribute to any pump um, that's currently on the market, coming out of the market, or even outside of diabetes, right? And it really becomes a, a, a way for these manufacturers to upgrade their systems and provide better features without the need to go through uh, expensive and lengthy um, design changes. Awesome. Yeah, so that, like I said, just brings up explaining, you know, what is the product? The product is, is software and the, the customer is, is perhaps the, the, the device makers. Is that what I'm hearing? That is, that is totally correct, Dr. Cole. So basically, um, the way that we've developed this out is for a licensable uh, algorithm and software system that would be purchased B2B by a insulin pump manufacturer. Um, we have developed out the platform, as Luis had mentioned, both for tethered, um, which are tubed insulin pumps, as well as patch insulin pumps. Um, we do actually have two current uh, research and development partnerships with an international player, as well as a domestic player, um, both, in, in both a tubed and patch pump. So we're really excited to have had that R&D experience of getting our platform to become more agnostic. Um, and the way that it works, as you mentioned, is that we would license out the software to these manufacturers to use per pump, per model, per warranty uh, for their system. Um, and then, of course, we could develop out a royalty uh, system for our um, for 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 Diatech. Um, the M&A space is also very active in the diabetes um, uh, sector. Uh, there's many a times uh, diabetes software or feature sets are eventually acquired by a larger manufacturer. So that exit opportunity is something that we're open to as well if we don't have a sustainable revenue model. Anybody else out there doing something like this? Like, is there a competitor that you know of? Yeah, and this is definitely an interesting challenge, right? Because we're looking to develop out a product for our customer who could also eventually become a competitor, depending on how that dynamic and their IP strategy is. Um, so 
to just quickly mention, we do have a U.S. patent. We have filed for PCT authority um, coverage as well for international. Um, so we do have IP coverage, at least domestically here within the U.S. for our system. Um, we do uh, acknowledge, though, that there are several players within the space that are specific to diabetes software development. There's about four to five that we've identified. However, they've not, never made a public um, announcement that they are developing out infusion monitoring software for diabetes uh, pumps. Is, are there other protections that you have in place? Because I watch these TV shows, you know, and these these people come and they steal software. Right. And, so it's it's, it's your- it basically is. You are absolutely right. Sometimes it was funny. We were talking to our lawyer the first time. And we we're like, "Oh my gosh, we have a patent." He's like, "Don't worry, that's just the PB and J. You have to, you know, to to these huge manufacturers, you know." And so, not to belittle it, but it is important to also take other um, IP protections and, of course, contractual protection. So uh, the engagements that we've entered with these manufacturers include clauses that protect the R&D as well as the ownership of the development of our system for their platforms. Um, and that goes through um, you know, specific contracts that we set with them um, prior to engaging. Uh, and we've done that, like I mentioned, twice so far, and it's, it's been pretty successful, at least in that relationship building. So John or, or Louise, uh, I can imagine that People other than clinicians will listen to this podcast and wonder if they, when can they get this uploaded to their Apple watch or however it's implemented into their system. So where are you guys in the regulatory pathway and how close are you to, you know, one of my friends being able to use this? That's a great question. And so Luis, maybe you want to hop in here on that. I was going to say that is a great question. Um, It's it's sort of ever changing. It's, it's um, it really depends on the product as you guys know. Uh, what you come out, what your um, indications for use are, kind of what it is you're claiming. So John and I are, are hard at work trying to get through um, setting up our, our QMS. We're planning a clinical trial next year to kind of get some initial, um, you know, user functionality studies. And, and we're still trying to navigate the space as to what it is the product is going to look like in the first iteration, right? Is it just a secondary monitor that says, hey, this is a, a new layer of protection for uh, a user, or I always think about a little kid, right? Coming on a pump for the first time, right. type one diabetes is juvenile diabetes. So um, parents freak now, no clue what's going on and, and sort of how to manage this new um, thing in their life. So even just that sec- being a second layer, a second monitor could be really uh, advantageous to these families and supportive. So we're still trying to navigate that. We have our eyes set um, on 2025 as a good year to come out into the market or, you know, maybe early 2026, but at the end of the day, it really depends on kind of what it is we want to put out there and what the patients find the most useful. Cause we could really, you know, do a big push or maybe get something out by the end of the next year, but it might not be what, what, pay, uh, what the users really want. It might be too simplified or, or, you know, so we're still sort of evaluating that and, and navigating the space. So, and to be clear, currently this doesn't change device settings. It just sends information, correct? It monitors and sends information, right? That's right. So I could see there'd be a much shorter regulatory pathway if it didn't implement changes uh, to the pump. Yeah. And And I'll I'll quickly just comment on that point, which is that, you know, we're operating pretty much as a third-part software manufacturer to these uh, larger companies who uh, we're licensing this to. And so they do have their own regulatory strategies 
Um, so the, the most optimal thing for us is that we develop out our alpha version that they would then go on to submit a joint regulatory filing themselves of our platform to um, either the FDA or EMA. And uh, as Luis mentioned, there are certain features that we would like to offer that might require a more um, intense regulatory review. However, our alpha version that we're looking at that is simply looking at data from the pump and making announcements about failures within the wear period of the disposable infusion set because they are typically worn for three to seven days. For not extending that wear time and we're suggesting a change needs to happen within that already approved wear time, um, then there's no additional risk that would be added to um, the patient for the use of that device with an alarm. Um, and so that's kind of what we've been able to receive feedback from, from our regulatory consultants. However, when we do move into what we want to do um, in long-term, which is potentially um, make suggestions about insulin dosing or what type of infusion set to use that disposable portion to avoid infusion failure, um, there are some uh, more stringent regulatory processes that we would have to go to. But for that first version, I think we could look within a next year and a half uh, for a manufacturer to uh, enable this within their system. And would it give information to just the patient or would it give information to the clinician as well? Our goal ultimately is to be able to make it something that could deliver out uh, alarms and data to not just the patient, but the caregiver, as well as the doctor. Actually, Luis has been working on um, more so the dashboard platform for Smart Vision. Um, Luis, is there maybe anything you want to chime in on that point? Yeah, so we're looking at it from a, um, you know, when we started Dietech, we started from basically ground zero, right? John and I were in college. We were like, we want to build this thing out for patients. We want to do this amazing thing. And, you know, I was 22 at the time or 21, whenever we finally got, you know, we decided to start going out and don't really know, you know, my hand from my backside. So over the years, what we've been doing is growing, you know, our technical capabilities and figuring out what to bring out and building sort of this platform. What John talked about in terms of um, our, you know, software platform, we're building out a mobile app, we're building out a web application. And with the idea of being, you know, with this new data stream, like how your site's performing, are you getting 50% of your insulin, 60%, right? These sort of new metrics is something that physicians will find really useful because up until this point, when you go to the doctor and you say, hey, my, uh, my therapy isn't doing what it's supposed to be doing, right? You said, I kind of get these numbers down. I'm having a hard time. Usually they just say, you know, try better or, you know, let's try different things. Let's consider your meals. And realistically, it could that be that you're having, you know, just a lot of failures or these kind of partial occlusions. So what we found is that it's a valuable data stream for physicians, but not every platform out there that's currently being used has the capabilities to introduce this data stream. So we're building out a way to visualize it for the clinical study where uh, we want to have, you know, again, thinking back to, is it, is it a mom? Is it a dad that's looking on, on their kid while they're at school, making sure things are going well, but as you have this follower feature that you can look at the data, is it the clinical staff that's looking at the end of, you know, three months when you go in for your next visit. And so we're building out the system to give everybody who needs access to this data, they'll be able to see it. But at the same time, we're building it in a way that's um, modular. So we understand that in diabetes, it's a very tech heavy space, right? For medical devices, usually, um, you know, medical devices lag behind the industry, but in diabetes, everything's pretty cutting edge, right? We have new algorithms, new softwares, all these kind of things. So we're building it in a way where if let's say the biggest, uh, 
you know, platform in diabetes monitoring wants to say, hey, can you add this to our platform? We can facilitate that. So we're kind of building out from scratch to be able to do what we want to do in terms of testing. But in the future, we know that this could be, you know, data that we send over an API uh, to someone like Luco, which is the, you know, the leading uh, data management platform for diabetes. So it's kind of a, a different tiered approach, if that makes sense. It all comes back to the data, doesn't it? Jeff. Yeah. Maybe yeah. A, maybe a two-pronged question. Um, do you feel like your your design and development has it been somewhat of a straight line, or have you kind of gone back to the drawing board at any point? <laughs> and you know, and who's supporting you? Do you, are you working with a medical device uh, incubator company, or who who else is is helping you guys behind the scenes? So I, I want to point back to um, you know, in 2020 when the pandemic was in full swing. We were kind of at that junction where, you know, we're pitching as a hardware company. And we're like, we're going to bring out this smart infusion set to market. We're going to do all these amazing things. And, and we started kind of hitting walls where people weren't really excited about more devices. We were, it was very complicated, very expensive, right, to go through manufacturing of a medical product. Um, and that's when we sort of said, hey, let's just do it software, right? And that was kind of an internal decision to kind of go with the times, right? We kind of saw the market and we saw, we said, you know, we'll take this risk. And it ended up working out. Um, in terms of support, you know, we have a great team of advisors. We, we, John and I have always been really good about saying, Hey, we don't know how to do this. So we need to find someone that is an expert in, in this, in this space or in this aspect of what we're doing. Um, uh, so we have a great team and over the years, we've been part of different programs. We saw, you know, we started out in Memphis with Sarco and, uh, zero to five ten. Then we joined Jumpstart out of Nashville, which is a digital health accelerator. Uh, we have partners out on the West Coast with uh, CTIP, which is a, a, a pediatric medical device consortium um, that you know helps us fund studies and, and do different parts. So we've always been willing to reach out to the community. And you know, one of the biggest partnerships now is we, we just got a recent uh, award from the Juvenile Diabetes Research Foundation. Oh, to power. Yeah. I just realized <laughs> I was wearing this shirt. Yeah. Yeah. I had this shirt before the the award. So, <laughs> so yeah, it's, it's, it's been a combination of, of learning on the job, you know, reaching out to folks that are obviously smarter than us and more experienced and then uh, partnering with great organizations to try and get over the, you know, over these obstacles. Aside from the accelerator programs that Luis mentioned prior to actually the JDRF funding, um, we were able to receive a grant from the National Institutes of Health that uh, powered really our preliminary uh, uh, preclinical studies. Um, and just recently, this past quarter, we were able to close a million dollar award from the Juvenile Diabetes Research Foundation through what is their IDDP program. Um, and this is a really awesome uh, funding support mechanism that they provide companies within the diabetes space for clinical development, um, commercialization. And so um, we were just awarded that recently. And we are actively raising an additional $3 million to uh, support what would be our first seed round. Uh, for the company, which would get us to market entrance with a manufacturer and through our um, up to a point where we could do a regulatory submission. Um, so we're currently raising that funding now. And, um, you know, with the support of the JDRF, we're really confident that, you know, we have the resources financially, uh, as well as technically to make this project get over the finish line. Um, and again, the partners that we have so far have been so supportive um, in the insulin pump manufacturing space and really hopeful that we can turn them into uh, licensing customers. So I want just dial it back just a little bit. I want to know a little bit more about each of you. If you guys can tell us a, a brief background and then 
John, at some point, I'd like for you to kind of, since you've got diabetes, type one diabetes, I'd like for you to walk through for the listener, how this would interface with your device from a personal perspective. Sure. Luis, why don't you go first and then I'll wrap through to the second part. Um, so I have a background in, in chemical and biomedical engineering from Florida State University. Um, all through college, I've done uh, research, you know, working in, I started off in computational protein engineering. I really quickly learned that's too complicated for me, maybe a little bit over my head <laughs> and sort of started moving towards uh, medical device development, smart devices. Um, on, during my last year, my undergrad, I focused on microfluidics and, you know, computational modeling. Um, and that's where I met John. Uh, you know, we were part of the same research lab and and kind of really hit it off. Uh, after college, I, you know, I've done an internship in college for GE Healthcare in the sales side. I've always been sort of having an aptitude for sales and, and the technical side. So I was like, oh, I want to be in sort of at that intersection between the, the back of house and the R&D and then bringing it to customers. Uh, after college, I went to work for, for Johnson & Johnson as part of their subsidiary Boston Webster, where I was in the OR, sort of clinical sales, helping the physician map the heart in real time. Um, so really, really cool stuff, really technical. I realized it wasn't it was a cool job and it a lot of growth potential, but I really wanted to focus on sort of what we, we had built with Diatech and sort of bringing this device to patients. And, and really that stems from uh, growing up, my, my grandmother had, uh, we really don't know if it was type one or type two, but she was insulin dependent. So it's here to take shots. My stepdad growing up, um, he, he's been, you know, he's had type one for over 40 years. Uh, so it was really kind of a personal mission for me. I'd seen the struggles that, that John was going through with this pump and and sort of the, what felt like a problem that was, it's pretty simple, right? You don't get your medication. A lot of folks feel uh, that they can't address it, right? Because it's obviously bad for business if you say, hey, our product doesn't deliver 100% of the medication that we say it does. And, and it's really not meant to be a, a, a pain point for these manufacturers. It's really about the, the patient, right? If there's something that we can do better, we should focus on that. Um, that kind of all came to a head this year where uh, about two months ago or a couple months ago, my mom was actually diagnosed with diabetes. And so it started off as with Dr. Salas pre-diabetes. Now they're, they're okay. Maybe it's type two and, and we're seeing that it's most likely type one. So it's sort of all coming to a head where, you know, that passion for, you know, helping patients and, and it's really working in this field is really um, at a head for me. And, and that's kind of where the passion comes in from both the technical side and, you know, interest as, a, as an engineer, but also on yeah. the personal side, the mission driven. This hits everybody. I mean, we all have a friend or a loved one with diabetes. Yeah. Right. I mean, yeah. everybody. Somewhere or the other. Yeah. 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 That's a very, and you know, we're talking about stats earlier. Um, yeah. It's super prevalent. And, you know, <laughs> unfortunately, I'm also a part of that squad. But, um, right. you know, my, my, my real interest in, in just, you know, has been pursuing, you know, diabetes care, education, um, clinical research, and it's been manifestation of past experiences that I had during and right after college at, you know, at the same time that we've been doing diatech. Technically, diatech is my first job um, outside of school. And so um, prior to that, I was working within several research institutions, uh, investigating diabetes clinical studies uh, for different medications, as well as uh, brain imaging studies within pediatric diabetes care, which was super fascinating, um, and also conducting our own research uh, topics at Florida State University. 
uh, where we went to undergrad, uh, where we met in that lab on insulin pump uh, infusion delivery. And so my first real project within the space was being able to detect leakages of infusion sites with mm -hmm. color changing adhesive um, that would literally change pink if uh, uh, the medication were to leak out. Mm. Um, and so we filed some IP with that with the university. Um, but that then led into the work with Diatech and um, while doing Diatech, I've had experience working with institutions uh, like Avamed on their diabetes leadership executive board um, with American Diabetes Association, as well as JDRF outside of our uh, grant um, or outside of our uh, funding that we've received from them. Um, and then uh, I'm also finishing up a master's in diabetes care and education at Columbia University in New York. Um, which uh, is supplementing the experience that we're having with Diatech. So, sure. um, so it's it's been a really amazing journey. I cannot say enough about this field. It is an absolutely incredible mm -hmm. field that is so focused on technology, therapeutics. Um, but to you know, wrap again um, on my own experience with diabetes. Um, I was diagnosed on my ninth birthday with type one diabetes. And so it's been very interesting growing up with this condition and seeing the evolution of technology and also to see the perspective of, you know, what a parent with, of a child um, with diabetes kind of goes through yeah. just kind of looking back at, you know, it's, I joke with my mom that it's more stressful for her than me because, you know, my blood sugar is like 400 and you know, I'm like, oh, I'm not feeling too good. I'll take some insulin. And, you know, she sees my monitor and she's, you know, really worried. So um, that, that, that's really been interesting to see it having myself. And then of course, how that impacts my family. And so then to answer your final question about, you know, how smart fusion fits into that picture of trying to reduce the burden of diabetes, because that is really our core, you know, mission at Dietech right. is just to reduce that burden. Um, you know, the most simplistic thing would be for um, our platform to enable instant alerts to when insulin infusion is not occurring. Um, that could be given via a pump alarm that could potentially be given uh, via a connected device like a mm -hmm. Apple watch or a phone. Right. Um, and then also be sent to a caregiver. Um, so a classic example we like to use is if there's a child playing on the playground, they have wearing an insulin pump, they're having a failure with a bolus of, you know, insulin, uh, alarm could be sent to their teacher or to their parent, and then they could change out that child's disposable portion of their pump and ensure that they don't go into diabetes, ketoacidosis, or high, severe hyperglycemia. Right. And so that's the simplest form. And then what we would also like to allow for their, our users is uh, more data just to know about their infusion sites, recommendations on what type of set to use to avoid those failures in the first place, um, and potential, uh, potentially down the road, uh, insulin um, infusion recommendations based off of, uh, historical failure, uh, prevalence. So there's, there's a lot in the pipeline, but right now we're really excited just to be able to tell people when they're not getting their insulin. And yeah, no, that's a lot. That's, that's fantastic. Thank you. Yeah. You'd think that I'd be done by now, but, um, and there are innovations that are happening in the space, you know, on the hardware side, but really on the software side, um, you know, we're kind of seeing ourselves as, as the, as the first ones to kind of go through that path. And, um, you know, we're really excited about it. So hoping we can get this a, to be a success. It was just, there's a lot of noise in the space, if you will. I mean, so many digital health companies, so many wearables. And, and I wonder, you know, how many of these companies are really doing anything novel. Um, it, it certainly sounds like you're taking it to, to another level. Um, 
That mean that means a lot to hear. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And we're we're very, you know, you know, we, we like to be skeptics about, you know, what we're doing ourselves just to ensure that, you know, what we're doing is right. I think that's really what's really important for us is knowing that and listening to people with diabetes. Cause like we said, like we had a remarkable product development realization, you know, early on just saying like, man, this thing, your baby is ugly. Right. And it's like, how do you adjust that, make it better. Um, and so, you know, taking that step and um, also just really, really focusing ourselves on the research and getting that critical feedback from KOLs um, has, has really helped us scrutinize, I think what we've done. Um, so we're really fortunate to have their opinions when, you know, we've done presentations at several diabetes conferences on our results and trials um, on the preclinical side. So um, just hearing them say that, you know, this matters, keeps us going and, and keeps us wanting to do it. Louise, you talked about this just briefly. Have you guys discussed internally about monetization of the data? Because it seems to always go back to how valuable that is in multiple companies we've interviewed. The data has so much value. And if you put this on a, a fraction of diabetic patients on the, in the country, that's a lot of data and a lot of really good data. Yeah. Um, the data side is, is always interesting. I, um, you, you know, I consider myself a, a great researcher, uh, hopefully a good engineer. Um, but as a businessman, I'm, I'm still learning, right? So when it comes to data monetization, I think it's it's um, it's something we're, we're continuously evaluating. You know, as part of our development plan, we're really considering things like, you know, GDPR for the EU, right? How it really puts a lot of guardrails on what you can do with someone's data, how you handle it, sort of how you... Uh, manage it. So what I see is one of the biggest things, you know, my philosophy when it comes to medical devices, the patient should never pay, right? Cause it's not your fault that you have diabetes, it's not your fault that you have to sort of use insulin. So I, I, I don't really believe in that. Um, when it comes to hospitals though, it's totally different because <laughs> it's an institution, but you know, when we look at the data that we're collecting, so you, John were our device a little while ago, you know, we had a very, very rough version of the app and we went to a conference down in San Diego and, and he's like, we should wear this, you know, we should show the people what we're working with, right? Get, get some excitement going. I was like, all right, it, it's really buggy. It's, it's really horrible. It might blow up at any point, but if you want to wear it. Uh, so he, he got on the pump, we started monitoring, you know, his site and John has what I would say at least one failure a month, right? Where it just starts leaking, kind of goes out of control. Mm. Um, what we found was that, you know, just this little monitoring system that we had developed, right, just continuously taking data and then us evaluating it in real time from our experience that we built from these research studies, we saw that he was having, you know, normal infusions. He was having sort of some partial occlusions. Things were kind of taking a dip, but then they came back up. And he went from a, he was running an infusion set that's, that's uh, approved for three days. He was able to go surfing, do all this stuff. Nine days later, he finally took it off. And he sends me a picture. He's like, hey, the adhesive is falling off of this thing, so I got to take it off. But he was cruising. He could have gone even further, mm -hmm. right? So in the industry, we're still having conversations about should, you know, can people wear things for seven days? Should mm -hmm. we do three days? Can you only get two days out of stuff? And John's over here rocking nine days like a champ. So, you know, the day that we're finding is, is both from, you know, it's interesting from a technical perspective, but I think it's really going to change how we view medication delivery in an ambulatory, uh, you know, in an ambulatory setting. 
because you know for insulin we see okay this site that you put in wasn't good or it didn't have the right conditions but you tried a different site on a completely different part of the body and it was fine um and that's really useful for physicians because they can start mapping out mm -hmm. what's good what's bad for the patient and you start giving specific recommendations not just try this thing try that thing it's like objectively, okay, my patients that with your BMI using the set typically have 70% success rate, or this is your efficiency at the site, right? We turn this sort of hand wavy thing of, you know, do your best, get your medication to a very objective measure for the first time in medication delivery. And then that translates to the, where I see the biggest opportunity is we do this for insulin. We prove that we can make devices safer. We can make them more effective. We can start objectively measuring how this medication delivery is going, not just assuming that things are going well. But then that means we can do it for other medications too, right? For if you're in oncology and in pain management and Parkinson's, right? There's a way to treat Parkinson's with a, an ambulatory pump similar to, the, to diabetes. Hmm. You know, imagine you're not getting that medication for Parkinson's or for oncology or for whatever. Mm -hmm. um, you know, we can do this just like we're doing in diabetes, giving this objective feedback, making sure things are going well, but for a whole different branch of, of um, you know, a different sector, a different medication, that kind of stuff. Yeah. And there are infusions for uh, pulmonary hypertension and CHF and all sorts of things. And I can see where, and maybe I'm brainstorming here with you, but I can see where with the AI that's coming, you could use this software algorithm platform, if you will, to tweak any therapy, say for instance, John's doing X, Y, Z activity surfing, you mentioned, or his diet is this, and we're giving this type of insulin at such and such time and do that across millions of patients. That's incredibly powerful. Yeah. Yeah. And, and it's, it's really exciting. I think there's a lot of opportunity here and it's, it, you know, the, the craziest thing, and, and this is a lot of sense because I've been kind of rambling, but yeah, I mentioned I was working at in the OR, um, for J and J, you know, so I visited a lot of different hospitals. We were in different procedures. Did I think over three hundred procedures my, my time there? Um, I remember looking at a line, and you know, there was a question about is medication flowing to the patient, right? We were seeing sort of reactions that indicated that it wasn't. Mm -hmm. um, and the anesthesiologist starts poking around and seeing, and one of the lines is just dripping off the patient. At some point it had been disconnected and someone forgot to reconnect it. And the craziest part is that it was in line with the sensor. Mm -hmm. The sensor was just there acting as a valve because it had, you know, the little twist valve. And I was like, I was like, this is crazy. Like, mm -hmm. you know, the fact that this is happening in real time. And I'm like, like, okay, you didn't see it, but like, how do we now have systems that make sure that it's medication? But is to, to the in addition to that, you know, if I'm to take my pump off, it's going to just infuse, like nothing's happening. So, you know, right. these types of things are just, what we see is, as, as, you know, gaps in the system that we think that we can address with the platform and to, you know, wrap uh, Luis's point, um, when I was wearing that, that um, when, I, when I was pairing the pump to our app with our algorithm embedded, um, and it was just so kind of, I just, I just want to say like, it was, it was liberating kind of to know in that moment, like, okay, you know, the, you know, conditions are looking good. The data that we're pulling from this pump is showcasing that. And, and as we knew just from the research we've done, okay, this looks like a normal infusion. Mm -hmm. And I don't have to have that moment where I'm like, you know, Checking looking at my pump or mm -hmm. like having to check my blood sugar two hours later and not mm -hmm. even know if it was because of the failure. And it was just, it was really, really awesome to, to know. And as Luis mentioned, you know, I, I ended up taking the, the set off after about, nine days and 
that was simply because of the, the, the adhesive, uh, the metrics of the, the app showed that the site was still performing and my glucose was responding. So, but yeah, but we thought it would, it was, it was good to take it off by that point, just <laughs> prevent infection or something. So well, yeah, it was, it was, it was fascinating. So seems that that would definitely save money if, if, if the standard is, oh, wear this for three days, but you can actually prove that it's working for eight or nine. And that, and that is definitely something that we could, you know, maybe want to suggest as a, as a future iteration. As we mentioned, you know, we want to, we want to make sure that whatever we're doing follows suit with the, the regulatory clearances of the devices that we're enabling for longer yeah. wear. So, you know, what will be so interesting is exactly what you mentioned, Dr. Cole, is if we get to a point where, we can say, um, you know, the indications of use of this infusion set can be extended with Smart Fusion mm -hmm. uh, up to, you know, X amount of days. Um, but again, any anything that falls within that, you know, approved indications of use of wear time, the alarm, you know, we don't foresee a huge regulatory burden for us and, to alarm. And not to mention fewer complications because they're getting their insulin, but fewer sticks, so less chance of infection. And if you use it three times as long, you know, over a year period, that's so many less sticks. And I know, obviously, you sterilize the site, but nothing's perfect. And John, of course, I'm saying this for people that may not know that are listening. You know, these patients are doing it themselves or you've got a parent that most commonly is not going to be a physician or a nurse or even a, me a medically trained person. And although do they get education you know, there's still mm -hmm. risk of that getting infected every time you put a new uh, site in place. Absolutely. These systems are, and as, as just put yourselves in the shoes of someone or a parent who just had a child get diagnosed and you'd be like, here is a fully automated medication delivery system. Mm -hmm. And here's all the education and let's hope that it works. And let's hope that you have great diabetes management, like push off the cliff. Mm -hmm. Let's get um, and so like, we really think that we really think that our platform is, is, is really, really helpful for those people who are first starting insulin pump therapy to know, you know, if they're infusing medication properly, that's really a target user group that we, we see this benefiting for sure. Um, because there's so much education that comes into diabetes management because it's a lifelong disease. And so we can check off one of those boxes to make it easier. That's definitely something that we're wanting to do. So I could totally see you guys as an acquisition target um, from one of the companies that makes the pumps, because it would seem to me they would have such a competitive advantage if it was placed on their device and not others. Um, you want to speak to that? Definitely, definitely a strategy that, you know, we're imparting, of course, you know, we, we, we want to be realistic and an m and is something that is not something you can never guarantee, but um, it is, very common in the, the diabetes space. Uh, just to look at some of the stats, I mean, if we were to look over the last, I think maybe last five to seven years, um, you know, we're kind of falling into the range of M&A targets um, of like anywhere from uh, approximately, so the average is listed is about $160 million um, per M&A deal price. Um, and there's about 12 potential target acquirers that are within the space that have shown activity. Obviously, you know, for our space, um, you know, we're looking at potentially a lower M&A just because we are a smaller feature set. But um, it is the truth that typically what happens in, this, in the diabetes field is that a larger insulin pump manufacturer will see something that's very attractive to them. 
Um, and rather than going on the whole non-exclusive licensing route that that company is originally planning, they will just scoop it up. And this is exactly what happened um, pretty much to um, the software um, uh, companies that uh, developed out the very first closed loop algorithm for insulin pump therapy. Um, so they're developing out an algorithm that connects continuous glucose monitors to insulin pump to allow automated insulin delivery. So those manufacturers acquired that type of company as well as other data, data diabetes companies and kind of set the standard for that being something that's really commonplace in the industry. Um, so we, you are absolutely right. I think realistically there is a single manufacturer that says this is a competitive feature and we just want this. Did I hear you right that there are roughly 12 manufacturers of diabetes pumps? Is that a fair guess? Yeah. Yeah, there's about that we could foresee as potential target uh, acquire uh, target acquirers, um, but there are, yes, also potential customers. But that does not necessarily include new pumps to market um, of manufacturers who are developing out pump platforms. Uh, so it is kind of important to note that yes, um, you know, we technically aren't selling to uh, the the over 1.6 million people with diabetes. Um, our tar- our market is those gatekeepers, which are those manufacturers. Um, but yes, there's over 10 that uh, we can identify and several more that we're looking at that would be entering the market in the next several years. Um, but yeah, it's about it's about 10 to 20. Where do you think you are in the awareness cycle with those companies? Have you had conversations with any of them or? Yeah, we've we've been we've been fortunate to have uh, conversations with with several of them. Um, you know, we've we've talked to the bigger players within the U.S., um, you know, the FDA approved manufacturers. Um, also international pump manufacturers too. Um, I would say that the awareness of us is, is, is definitely still growing, but um, I would say that most of the main manufacturers know about us and we are in communication with them about the development of our product. So John, you've probably got a clear understanding of the total addressable market, uh, uh, but have you thought about how the GLP-1, I guess they're inhibitors like the Ozempics and so forth that are so popular now, would affect that market. Yeah. So, uh, so uh, GLP uh, one uh, receptor agonists. You know that that's that that is applicable to um, you know a very wide range of people with type two diabetes typically. Um, and and so when we're looking at these uh, medications, both injectables and also oral um, diabetes medications, that's typically outside of the market of people who are utilizing uh, insulin pump therapy um, mm-hmm. because those people are insulin dependent. Um, and so we don't really foresee uh, things like SGLT2, SGLT2 inhibitor, um, so, uh, you know, uh, GLP-1 RAs, um, DPP-4 inhibitors uh, or receptor agonists or all those things. We, we, we don't envision those medication classifications affecting uh, the insulin pump market. But I will say that and this last thing I'll say is that, you know, eventually there, there, there is medication classifications coming out for implantable beta cell, um, beta cells that could, you know, mm-hmm. allow for, uh, uh, in vivo, uh, insulin production. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, but at that point, um, you know, insulin dependency is being cured and that would be the day that we're all working for it. So, right. Well, I think we should clarify for the average listener, type 1 and type 2 diabetes are completely different diseases. Type 2 is a insulin resistance 
and type 1 is a lack of insulin. And the patients with type 1 diabetes absolutely require insulin and they will die. Type 2, and I'll never forget the aha moment in medical school when I realized type 2 diabetes is generally a disease of obesity because the fat cells are insulin resistance themselves. And actually the diabetes goes away often case once the patient gets to a normalized body weight. But as long as there's type one diabetes, you're going to have a patient population. That is absolutely correct. Yep. And we understand that in severe cases with type two diabetes, as you mentioned, you know, there starts to be some sort of insulin dependency, but primarily yes, type one diabetes um, is, is, is our, our main uh, patient uh, care group. But fascinating to learn that the technology you've got could be applied to other uh, infusions. Absolutely. And Luis has mentioned that, and that's a huge goal of ours. There's actually hardware that is of an insulin pump that is utilized in oncology therapy. So it's right. actually the exact same uh, pumping mechanism. And of course, the manufacturer of these infusion sets that fail for uh, uh, insulin pumps um, develop those for these other uh, types of pumps as well. So we really see some consistency between these hardware solutions that we could ultimately pair with. So even, even if you cured type one diabetes, this, this company still has a future, it sounds like, but let me ask, was your IP, your patents broad enough to protect those type processes as well? Happy to shine some light. So from the very beginning, we've been kind of focused on these different avenues, right? Whether the pump has one tube, two tubes, 10 tubes, right? Um, coming from that, from that inpatient background, you know, and just kind of look at the market in general, we know that there's a lot of different industries. So we've been very deliberate about kind of targeting and always in the patents, we say this could be used for insulin therapy, but also, you know, blah, 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 blah. <clears throat> for in, in all the different interactions, we've, we've kind of gone after both the, you know, if the pump is ambulatory, if it's stationary inpatient, if it's connected over Bluetooth, if it's connected via ethernet, firewire, you know, whatever you got. So we've been really, um, proactive about thinking about these other spaces, uh, you know, from on a couple years down the line, right? Cause, cause we know diabetes is, is, is sort of our, we treat diabetes as a beachhead market, right? It's the most important market. It's the one we have the closest connection to, but it's, it's, and it's also the most dynamic, right? Where people change all the time. They're very, um, the, they deliver medication 24 seven, that kind of stuff. So it's probably the, the most aggressive one, but if we can do it here, we can do it, you know, in pretty much any other market. And then thinking about inpatient as well, Right. If you're in surgery, you have some kind of feedback like, hey, this patient's IV is still in line or you're doing, you know, a two hour study where you need everything to go well. Right. You have that feedback. Uh, so we think there's a lot of opportunity out there. It, we're obviously becoming experts, hopefully, in diabetes. So is, as soon as we start looking at those other markets, we'll have to bring in more people that are that are very experienced with those fields. We have a passion for diabetes. We have a passion for technology. We really want to do this for the patients, right? We believe this is something that will change the course of how we think about medication delivery, and mm -hmm. not only in, in insulin therapy, but also potentially other drugs. Uh, so John and I are young, but it isn't, you know, we're trying our best. We're, wherever we don't um, know something, we reach out for help. I think that's the strongest thing uh, an entrepreneur can do. And what we hope this podcast gets across is that we're very ambitious, we're very motivated, very driven. And, you know, we'd love for folks to come in and, and believe in the product like we do and, you know, fund the company. But also if, if you think you can help in any way, give advice, mentor us, uh, please reach out. We'd love to, to connect. Um, 
because we think this is this is a great opportunity. I love that. That's fabulous. Yeah, thank you. Yeah. We at Merge Medical, our purpose is to interview what we feel is disruptive healthcare startups that will change in a positive manner the, the care of patients. We try to focus on founder-led programs uh, that are personally involved, uh, programs that will help patients, that will help physicians uh, from a patient care standpoint and also enrich their lives financially. You guys check mark all the boxes, and I can't thank you enough for being here. Uh, Louis Blanco and John Wilcox of Dietech. That's a wrap.